What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Raise the Flag podcast. I'm your host, Nick Italiano, here with my co-host, Tom Nugent, and our special guest this week, Ruben. What's going on, Ruben? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Good to uh, see you again, Nick. It's been a while. Nuge, I feel like I saw you just a couple of weeks ago, right? Yeah, normally people have the reaction of, I see you too often. I was so going to say, thing. Like, yeah. that's what I was going for, but I thought, nah, let's keep, keep it classy, you know? Yeah. No, I'm not. Don't worry about it. <laughs> There's already so much news that people can tolerate. I, I understand. <laughs> I, I just remind everybody, try fucking being me. You think it's that bad being around me? I have to be around me 24-7. It's a Boy. drag. <laughs> Yeah, that explains the, the condition of your shop now. You know, oh, the, things the, giving the, out on you. Everything quit on me. It's just you know. Yeah. But don't worry, I'm taking the classic approach of just throw money at it, and then it'll work itself out. So if you just Seems keep to pumping work. money into it, somehow I'll end up making more money at the end of it, right? Nick, you're Let's a money lover guy. Out. Yeah, I mean, you know, basically the theory is just keep buying equipment until you either make money or you claim bankruptcy. <laughs> <laughs> one will happen. <laughs> one one definitely will happen. But at least you'll have a lot of toys that hopefully might be in working right. condition. Heck yeah. But Ruben, how do you how do you say your last name? Oh boy, this is up for the, up for a lot of debate. Um, I'm going to say it the way. Wow. So just imagine being in a doctor's office or school or a dentist's <laughs> office your entire life. You hear so many different versions of it. You get to the point where you just like I'll answer to anything. That kind of sounds like me. And you got to raise your hand and everybody's like, oh, there's a guy with that weird name. Even though they said it wrong, even saying it right is, is kind of is kind of strange. But just look, if you look at it, it's B-O-L-I-E-U. Imagine an R at the end. Bam. It's Bollier. Bollier. Okay. And when I'm in, in Canada, um, when I'm in Canada and I give them my card and they see the name, they always like say it right. And then they tell me how. It should be written. Sorry, I did it wrong. But um, the only person I've ever uh, not met but that I've heard of with the same last name is Priscilla Presley, uh, uh, wife of Elvis Presley. That was her maiden name. Spelled the same way, too. So I'll answer it to anything, but it looks like bull you. Or sometimes the you, people mistake it for an N, and I'm bullion. I'll just say, yeah, I guess that's me. Bullier. It sounds a little French. Maybe well, that's because it is. That's why when I'm in Canada, the, the French Canadians are always good at like picking it up and saying it right uh, the first time. Well, I mean, don't don't feel too bad because my last name oh, is Italian, you know, and yeah. you can't, I can't tell you how that's many kind of a cooler name. Man. Well, I mean, but I can't really. tell you how many people don't know how to say the name. I get all kinds of things. People put R's in there, like Ilitaro. I'm like, no, there's no. It's Italian in Italian, or just I, Italian with an O at the end. It's not. It's not really. Right. That there's no comparison. I can't play the violin for you. <laughs> <laughs> Try losing with mine. <laughs> I thought your name was fake for a little bit, like one of those fake names that people give out where they wouldn't actually believe it's real. Like, yeah, uh, I. I've had to assure people this is a real name. Here's my driver's Yeah, like a, <laughs> like like a, like a stunt goon in a movie. Yeah, that yeah, would be yeah, your exactly. name. Exactly. I'm, I'm an I'm an extra in Goodfellas. <laughs> I, had a, I had a customer that like I'm obviously used to people lying to me about their names from the previous career and just have my trust issues <laughs> as always. Where like they'd always yeah. be John Smith. It's like oh yeah, the fucking eight John Smiths of the day. Um, and like, sure, but I had right. a customer. He's <laughs> like, oh, I'm for Gazy. I'm like. What? Yeah. And he's like, no, my last name is Rich. It's Rich Fugazi. And I'm like, okay. And this is like, this is like through text and everything. So I didn't really believe it. Then when he came in person, I'm like, 
oh, he's like, here's my, here's my brother, so-and-so Fugazi. I'm like, oh, my God, they're not lying. This is actually their names. <laughs> That's I, funny. <laughs> I was, uh, it was just hard to believe at times. But, you know. That reminds me of the Donnie Brasco movie, right? It's like, it's a Fugazi. He's like, what's a Fugazi? Yeah. yeah. That's why I thought he was lying to me. Like, I wouldn't right, blame him for lying about his information. Like, I didn't even have my name on my website for God knows how many years, let alone somebody lying to some strange man making knives up in the mountains. <laughs> I mean, you barely started putting the steel type on your website. So, uh, <laughs> I like to make it the illusion of there's some mystery going on. Make, yeah, make it very steel. difficult for people trying to write articles about me. I think Spam did that you know, with, uh, with their meat, right? Uh, remember that Dennis Hopper? Move. Uh, he was in Waterworld and he was throwing out cans of smeat. It was like this is <laughs> supposed to be spam. You can just tell, but it's called smeat. <laughs> I, yeah. I like spam, so I guess. Me too. Like, oh, oh, good. I was like, oh, everyone's yeah. like, you like spam? I'm like, yeah, it's good. Now, oh, since my uh, shop decided to blow up, I think I'm actually going to work on editing the website this week um, because nothing, the belt grinders don't want to work and Sandblast Cabin doesn't want to work. So uh, I think I'm just going to be typing words and stuff, which is not my forte. So No, it's not. I've seen your newsletters. Um, <laughs> sorry. We're not recording, are we? Give me a sign. <laughs> Those newsletters are just to the point. They definitely know I'm the idiot writing them. There's no confusion. Why do you hate commas? Why do you hate commas so much? <laughs> Why do you think I was good at the last job? It was just like, person did this. I then did this. Man arrested. End of report. <laughs> All right. It's like that's it. Here are knives. Please buy them. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, make it simple. Well, I'm, anyway. I'm ready to throw in typos just to piss you guys off at this point. Because both of you guys like to go through the newsletter and nitpick them. So I'm just going to like throw blaring ones in there. You you ask us to do so, so we do so. <laughs> you yeah. didn't ask me. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Um, anyway, so we've gone down a, a, a rabbit hole already. We haven't started. <laughs> so, Ruben, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're all about, what you're doing? All right. So I, I'm really just a... Uh backpacker type of guy who needed some survival skills. I thought that they'd be good to have if I'm going to be out as much as I was and a hiker, camper, backpacker, who I think all of us to a certain point in our lives, if we enjoy doing that, we have, we have to admit we're a little gear dependent. Like if that backpack with all my gear, all my backpacking falls down, uh, you know, a hill or something, or it goes floating down the river, mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of, Ooh, I didn't plan for that. Hey, what happened? <laughs> so, Sometime, I would say late 90s, when I realized that I hated car camping, <laughs> I still went with family and friends. But when I started backpacking, um, I had to carry a lot of you know stuff. I, I was the guy with the 75-pound pack, believe it or not. Um, and people pack their fears, I believe that. You give somebody a big backpack, they're going to fill it with what they're afraid of. They do it every time. So I think I felt that early on. I got too much stuff. <laughs> But I um, started getting smaller backpacks so I could do go, you know, longer distance, higher elevations and stuff like that. And and decided to replace it with the knowledge. It doesn't weigh that much. So I tried to really get into the skills and and I just never really stopped looking for lighter gear and practicing skills. And I think I got to the point where everybody I was backpacking with still had these big backpacks. So they didn't care. And I would say a lot of backpackers are guilty of being gear dependent. Well, yes, you need to. You're always carrying your shelter and uh, yeah, you, you know, your sleep system, your 
hydration system. And that's never going to change um, unless you just want to go out and build lean-tos all the time, swamp beds. But most of us don't enjoy the woods quite like that. Um, but to have the ability to, uh, the knowledge is, is key. And from that point on, I just did more backpacking, high altitude, um, peak bagging, as they say. And I, I kind of was like the backpacker who was getting into survival skills and got in the forums and started meeting people, talking to people. And um, one year I did, um, I think I did Mount Whitney. It's the highest hiking trail in the U.S., not Denali, that is a mountaineering um, trail, mountain. And I did Grand Canyon up and down, and all the practice hikes for, for the big Mount Whitney were all like 11,000, 12,000 peaks, and did that for six months of training to do it after that. A cousin asked me, what are you going to do now? Like you did, not that I did everything. But I thought, well, I have to go to the countries and do more. Uh, <laughs> but um, I remember always seeing... I used to I used to read this magazine, Tactical Knives, and I always always would see this ad for jungle survival training. And I think for a lot of ventures, that somehow is like the pinnacle in their mind of adventure. You know, like the big adventure, the green you know place, a uh, jungle. And for me, it definitely was due to movies and such. And uh, I ended ended up just uh, getting on the phone that day after my cousin hit me with that. Like, what are you going to do now? I think I need to go to the jungle, and uh, that's what I did. That changed my life because it really made me travel more and uh, write for publications and teach people all around the country. And, yeah, it kept me training in other places like in the Philippines, taking their jungle survival courses and kind of putting all that knowledge together and being able to put it down on paper. As you guys know, you know, do a lot of writing and photography. So that's pretty much I would say that's me in a nutshell, besides um, the fact that most people who know me don't have a clue that I've been a drummer almost my entire life and made a living at that, really? traveling. See, I, did not, right. I did not know that. Most people don't. I don't Fun look. <laughs> right, it's funny because a lot of the outdoors people, they, they're like, you don't look like an outdoors person. But then like with, when I'm with the musician people, um, they say, you don't. Like you don't look like an outdoors guy either, so I don't know where it fit in somewhere. But um, outdoors is supposed to look like. It's like you have two different worlds. Well, how do you call yourself an outdoorsman? You don't have an epic beard. I mean, that's not even. I used to. I used to. (laughs) The thing is, look at my nose. The thing is, once I grow a beard, I'm instantly on the list. You know, so you guys can get away with it. I get randomly pulled aside all the time. So. that's how you get to the front of the line at TSA. <laughs> yeah. so gets, that's how I get to the, you know, the big table, the interrogation room. Oh, so that's not how. the front of the line anymore. Yeah. Well, you're also using the skills that you learned, too, to also do some teaching, right? You organize an instructor down, sure. down south, right. right? Yeah, well, I used to do the, the classes for the Rattles Adventure and Training. It's a mouthful. Um, SC Knives guys. In California, uh, I used to... I helped him with the jungle classes first, and I helped him with some classes in Alabama. And then um, there was another student um, who did well in the classes. And he was from California, Reza. And uh, he's done a lot of great stuff traveling on TV shows and, and stuff like that. We, we traveled to the Philippines together. But uh, Jeff Randall, the founder, just said, why don't you guys do something on the West Coast under our banner? So we did that for a couple of years, um, teaching at probably about 5,000 feet to 7,000 feet elevation. 
It is because you're you are at that point of like you're still in kind of a high desert, but then you're in the high elevation mountains, uh, and the south facing slopes are just that, just barren desert. And then you turn around, and it's just lush with so you have a lot of resources, which is kind of a funny point because people uh, you always hear this in books. Um, if you can be on a south facing slope, they're going to be warmer. That's great. Okay, you have less material on a south facing slope. When you're California, Nevada, and Arizona, the Southwest, you'll have a lot of canyons, hills, and valleys. I mean, that may be warmer, but there's almost nothing to use. You may have a little more stuff to burn, but building materials are over here. So that's always kind of been a tricky trade-off, I thought. Uh, yeah, so I did classes with them in California and still continue to go back uh, to Alabama and uh, do stuff uh, with them. Most of the time, I'm I'm just there visiting, hanging out, staying with Patrick, uh, you know, his family and his wife, and um, going over to do the classes he's at and see a lot of the same people over and over. Students, it's great because um, you because you know these people for several years, and it's just it's kind of like family. That there's no other way to say it. That's, that's awesome, and I think like you get you get a lot of repeat people and, and that kind of stuff because um, you know you get bitten by the bug and. Back in my my younger days, I was really fire ants. Sorry, (laughs) that's not the bug you want to get bit by. I'm Um, sure I'm sure that happens down there in the south too, though. Yeah, yeah, they have they have a lot more. No, it's all good. Um, I used to like be really into like go ruck, and I would do all those rucking events and stuff like that. And yeah, you get to see the same people over and over and over again. And uh, you know, it's like it's a special group of people that get together and really like to torture themselves. Um, I guess it's the same thing in the uh, in the survival course stuff, and I know the, the Randall's courses. Some of them are are really intense. So it's, uh, yeah, it's they a got a couple kind of voluntary do. torture. <laughs> so. I think Shane Adams did the hardest one. Phil Crap. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Phil survival twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked to, we talked to him about that course when he was on here. Yeah. I, I did listen to that podcast, and that sounds like such an awesome course. I wish it's something that I could uh, that I could yeah. do, but I think that fortunately for me, that that time in my life has passed. So. Uh, there was another guy who did that twice. His name is John, and he's actually scheduled to go on this uh, jungle trip we're doing in October with school. That'd be, that's going to be cool to see. Do they make you like take like preliminary courses before they'll take you out to the jungle, or do you have to like? How does that work no. with like? Because they're not just going to take any schmo down there, right? Who wants to just go out and adventure? Are they just going to, or do they and just take their money and just have a plane ticket <laughs> for the next day lined up? <laughs> I'll do my Johnny Depp, reach in to the mic, look around. Yes, they will. <laughs> take it uh, no, you are given the skills. We start at a, at a base level, and um, you don't need so much of, of people's experience either through using gear, having knowledge going places it'll help to a certain point but it's a very different place with very different uh, I'm not going to say rules but different parameters um i went there for the very first time with i was in a class of five okay we had i was on vacation it was i was drumming and i had like a three-week vacation a perfect vacation i can fit it right in there um and i went with a guy named cody kwok good guy he worked he worked from uh, he worked for google from Hong Kong, never spent a day in the woods in his life. Another guy is a bartender from Maryland, Clancy, we'll call him, because he likes to be called that. Um, he saw an episode of Survivor Man where they're in the Amazon, and he signed up the next day. <laughs> then the other guy, 
the other guy was a, a, a survival instructor from Alaska. His name was Tuck. Really big guy, like a bear. Really, really big guy. Oh, we had another guy from Sweden, but he lived in California. Well, maybe he hiked little or car camp, but had no real like skills, um, experience. They did fine. Everybody, you know, lived. <laughs> and, How'd the drummer do? Yeah, I did okay. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Because <laughs> you had a guy, from, have... a guy from Google, a bartender, a drummer. You were just about to have that party out there. I would just imagine Mike and Jeff. Mike is, was the co-founder who passed recently. And Jeff, um, I could just imagine them looking at us like, boy, we're in trouble this time. <laughs> Wasn't sure the insurance was going to pay off. Uh, but no, nobody really got hurt. I don't think anybody got got cut. I got one little cut in the finger and the last day we we're making rafts. I got a little little cut stab on my calf because Cody was, we're doing navigation, you know, running in, in azimuth and he, the point guy is chopping and he was the point guy and he chopped into, he chopped into a nest, uh, some hornets, some, something evil and stingy <laughs> flew back at us. So here's a guy with his hands over his eyes, machete in his hand. Oh, and no, he's no. swinging, and oh. it's, everybody's running in to try to help him with their bandanas and hats, and everybody's backing away. And <laughs> yeah. somehow in the process, his machete gets me in the cap. Like, so uh, it wasn't anything major like uh, at all. Definitely wasn't. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, wasn't life-threatening. You wouldn't even put a band-aid on it. Not that a band-aid would ever work. <laughs> but, um, it's not like you're going to the bathroom and grabbing the Neosporin and a band-aid and slapping it on it and calling yeah. it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, everybody did fine. So you don't really need to. We often we often get or we did get a group of people that would maybe they'd have a lot of experience or something. And it doesn't always tie over. Mental experience will always go a very long way. But um, uh, you don't really need to. You don't really need to. That's what it's for. It's a basic uh, jungle survival course. And the hardest part is often it's just uh, getting over your fears and getting down there in the first place. Uh, yeah, and I, besides I, I that. In, in some ways, like having people with no experience is actually an advantage because they don't have an ego that comes always. along with it. You know, they and, don't come in. They can, they can right. absorb the information. They go in there knowing they know nothing and they really pay attention where I think sometimes you see guys that have a lot of experience in certain things and they they have an ego about it. And they think that, oh, I can always. handle this. I, I this and, uh, just about always. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, right. I somehow ended up uh, the times of the year that I go down south to visit, uh, you know, Georgia and Alabama just seem to be around the time they're doing intro to survival or parent child class, which are both very basic classes and basic tracking. Um, so some of those classes are the best because if you're lucky, you get people that don't have bad habits. They don't come in here with uh, a whole lot of, yeah, I saw it on YouTube. So I know how to do it mm-hmm. type of thinking. <laughs> Classic. I saw that for years. When I mean, I, I still do, but uh, it's so different when you get your hands on the work and you start actually putting stuff together and carving sticks. That it wasn't, you know, it doesn't always go the way you see it in your head, the way it did on YouTube. And um, I always encourage people like, there's nothing better you can do than go out and get some training. And I, I think if, uh, the best way to learn stuff is if you know it a little bit, go and teach it to somebody because that will always make it really solid in your mind repetition yeah, and when you say it out loud and you're and, doing it yeah. and you're kind of narrating you are actually internalizing it more you're learning once again 
Yeah. yeah, and it's 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 funny that you bring that up because it's like I I recently started um, I took over my son's scout troop and I have a bunch of seven and eight year olds um, you know running around and it, you don't realize how how hard it is to actually talk about the fundamentals so much as when you're trying to teach it to kids but you're like oh yeah it's uh, you know it's a good it's a really good refresher to go back to some of the basic stuff and just oh, yeah. practice it and do it you know especially if it's stuff that you're not really that you take for granted like using a ferro rod or something like that like yeah we just go out and do it but um you know sitting there watching an eight-year-old struggle for 35 minutes trying to get a ferro rod to spark something you're like ah oh, you said eight-year-old or forty-eight-year-old because they they both do the same. Well, <laughs> they yeah, both struggle for right. several hours, <laughs> right? But, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, it's a very different mentality when you are doing it on your own to practice your skills. Then you're doing it uh, outdoors, either around a campfire or backpacking type primitive camping, and then doing it in front of people that you are responsible to teach them something you, yeah, you have yeah, to have exactly. it to the point where um, you make it easy to convey the information and you don't look stupid. So, <laughs> but it, it, I think it takes a long time to get to the point where it's just it, any of these skills, nobody, nobody is ever born with any of these skills, no matter where you're, where you're from or yeah, what tribe you think you come from. You, everything has to be taught. Everything is learned. That there's just no question about it. So yeah, there's, no, um, there's no replacement for the muscle memory, you know, and that's, that's yeah. what it comes down to is you got to just get, get yourself down there. And people also need to realize that there's a big difference between doing it in a controlled environment and doing it in a real life scenario, you know, because I think a lot of guys, especially oh, yeah. with the advent of shows like Alone and all these popular survival shows, it's like they watch a show, they go out to their backyard. They do a little stuff. They say, "Oh, I could, I could get a ferro rod going. I can get a fire going. I could, I could build a shelter. I can do all these things." But then, you know, you put them in the actual woods, where they don't have ideal conditions, and they can't just walk into their house if things fail and and whatever it is. And it's yeah. definitely a big uh, difference in in the level of learning, because that's where you really get to to truly learn. Because you're getting an environment that's that's hostile. It's not conducive to what you want to do. Murphy likes to rear his ugly head all the fucking time. So it's oh, like... That, that's the truth. When you got Murphy falling, you're along like I do. It's like you learn that. It's like, ah, oh, no, not everything always goes so smoothly once you start playing the game. You mean when you get in the shop? Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> you're very bitter about the shop. I think there's an underlying theme here. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm very... Yeah, yeah. You're just angry yeah. about something today? Yeah. I'm shocked. <laughs> it's it's all like, what's, what's the thing today? But no, it's even out there in the woods, though. It's like, you know, you plan out for a nice sunny day and then like you get out there and you're like, oh, dope, lightning. This is sweet. And you're like that. And like now it's like you got to set up your shelter and everything like that. Or even like oh, yeah. get out to the water and it's like turns south real quick. And it's like, mm-hmm. all right, well, but you also you almost need those scenarios to happen, though. Obviously not to the point of dying. That's why we're number one survivalists. Um, but like. Because then it gives you that kind of experience because people could tell you all the time that this is how it's going to happen or these things do happen. But you almost need to have those bad experiences to then really have it set home that that's how this is. Because you go watch all the things on YouTube all the time. But like on YouTube, they have this thing called an editing tool where mm-hmm. they could cut all that crap out so you don't see it, you know. But when oh, you yeah. actually get out there and you realize this is what happens in the real world, like it's not always as, as smooth as it all seems. 
Oh, it's also Every time. a big difference between setting up a shelter on a bright and sunny day than setting up your shelter when there's 35 mile per hour winds, the rain's coming down sideways, and it's not letting up for the next 12 hours. <laughs> yeah. And it's even oh, yeah. setting up in the process where, like, if you have somebody there to teach you how to do it, like having the rain fly over your tent before you actually start setting up the whole tent so everything underneath it stays dry. It's like, because I've seen plenty of scouts that will set up the tent without the rainfall on top of it when it's raining and you're looking at it and you're like, <laughs> you're going to have a, a wet tent to sleep in tonight. <laughs> have fun. That's almost where like the tarps would be nice for that. Cause it's like, you already, it's all you have to set up. It's a little bit easier for setting up an increment weather like that. Yeah. I don't even own a tent, which I still think is a little crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I like, uh, I like the visibility of the tarp to me. That that's huge to, uh, uh, the coldest I've ever been and the most scared I've ever been has been in a tent when I was younger because I'm still awake and I'm hearing this noise. And, you know, you spend enough time in the woods, it takes a chipmunk walking on leaves or scurrying yeah. to sound like that's the person. There's yeah. a bear. It, it's insane yeah. how loud birds and chipmunks are. Forget squirrels and raccoons. But these small birds and chipmunks make such a ruckus and sound. So when you're when you're a kid in, in, in a tent and you're hearing that, you don't already know that from years of experience. You just think that's something that's, that's it. It's got me this time because you can't see it. You can't associate with it right away. I hate that. Um, tents are big and you can't warm all that airspace. That's it. And uh, they trap bugs. And also, they trap bugs. Tarps don't trap out. bugs. You fly through. Tents right. suck when it's hot. <laughs> sure. Right, they really just, do. A little sauna. Oh yeah. We, yeah. we just did a we just did a camping trip with the scouts um on, you know, one of those random ninety plus degree uh weekends. And you know, we did a state park campsite, so there wasn't a lot of tree cover. It was a big open field. And uh and the tents just cooked all day. And I mean it was so it was so hot in there. Yeah. And uh, oh, that's awful. It, it right. was it was horrible. And you know, my son who like just does not care. He just he fell asleep no problem. I'm sitting there like drenched in sweat, like wanting to wanting to die. <laughs> I'm saying this that's, is fine. That's, that's the, I think that's the hardest condition for me to sleep in is when it's really, really crazy hot. To the point yeah, where I could deal I could deal with the cold. The hot is miserable. I think it's easier to stay warm in freezing under freezing conditions than it is to cool down after a certain temperature. That is very hard to control. Yeah, you could always uh, you could always put more clothes on. There's only so many clothes that you could take off, especially if you're scout camping. <laughs> they surrounded by children. <laughs> um, right. they, they tend to frown upon that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, you know, there's it's a couple funny, of like, in the Boy Scouts about that. Yeah, going back to the the whole tarp for his tent thing, you know, and I was out there setting up the tent, and my wife and one of the other uh, mothers were, like, sitting there, like, talking about it. She's like, I don't know if he knows how to set up a tent. I mean, he could build a shelter out of a tarp and just about anything else that he could find, but a tent, I don't think he's done for a while. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> I think i trying yeah. to put it together. But I, uh, I did get it up in about five and a half minutes, so I was very, very impressed with myself. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I... I I do like, uh, I understand the need for them, and especially some people like to change or they feel more comfortable changing in a tent. I I don't. I don't really change much when I'm out. No matter how many days, I'm not changing like clothes all the time or you yeah. know, ever. I just play the game and, you know, figure it out and deal with it. Um, Come back and get hit by the power washer later on when, before you yeah, get exactly. back into your place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if, if you're not in the Southwest, 
there's almost always a place you can just jump in and dunk in and kind of get semi-clean, but I'm not going for clean. I'm not going for all that stuff. So I don't need a lot of clothes. I don't need to change in a, you know, in a tent. So uh, when it is hot though, and I would say anytime I am in any type of rainforest that is not the Tongass National Rainforest in Alaska, any rainforest that is tropical uh, and I'm in a hammock, now I have the ability to set the tarp up very high because it will rain, but I got so much air around me. Um, and that's a really good point. You really have, you can control that. You can raise one or lower the other. Yeah. And that flexibility is, is, is cool. I was a hammock hanging for well over 10 years before I thought it's just, I can go lighter in the winter by not having a hammock. So I turned to a ground sleeper forever, unless it's really hot and I'm in a tropics or even around here in the summer and early fall, I'll be sleeping in a hammock. So then are you putting the pad down on the ground too, or are you using something like that? Always, always a pad. Yeah. Cause you can have a three, $500 sleeping bag and freeze the whole night on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, you gotta have that insulation layer in between you and the earth. Super important. Yeah. You can't warm the earth. You can't warm the ground. And I only use a torso size. I, I don't use three quarters or a full length. I never have. I bought them before, but just to cut up and use for like, you know, sit pad and something you can fan the flames with. Mm-hmm. But um, it works. And if you're in an area like us um, where you have sometimes the powerful birch bark or even a lot of poplar bark, you'd be surprised at how much insulation that will give you if you can get panels and panels of it mm-hmm. under your legs and under your torso, even if you have the path. So I use everything. I use everything around me to contribute to the sleep system. Um, and that's not something people think of all the time. I think the sleeping pad is one of the, the, the it's probably the, the most useful thing because you might have a night where it's not that cold and it doesn't rain, but you need that pad. You will yeah. need that pad to sleep on. And like, it's just not as cool. It's not as sexy, is it? You know, tents are, tarps <laughs> are, sleeping bags and gear, but like the unsung, <laughs> I would say one of the unsung pieces of gear is, is the ground pad. <laughs> uh, no, I just bought a new one this year because we last time we went out, it's like mine was just toast. And like, I don't know, I'm getting old. Um, so like yeah, everything starts, to hurt, especially if you, I know I already look like shit, but internally I'm actually getting worse than I look. So just imagine. I think you're the youngest one here. It's safe to say. <laughs> Which is why I was just like, well, wait till you get to my age. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be dead. Thank you. I'm but like, um, that's not going to happen. I won't get there. <laughs> I'm trying my best, all right? But I had to get a new pad because, like, towards the end of it, like, everything hurt. And it's, like, it got cold, too, because, like, it lost all the air that was in there. So it didn't have anything actually separating me from the ground. So I'm like, yep, yeah, this is just the classic air? throw money in and fix the problem. Right. So, so it was an inflatable pad. Yeah, so. it was a inflatable pad. But do you like the foam ones a little bit better? I only like them. I only like all the right. close up. Close cell ones. They'll never fail on you. They yeah. do way I, more things. I'm not a big fan of inflatable anything um, because there's just such a high likelihood of breakage. And then, right. you know, like if I have a ripped foam pad, it still works. And um, and I'm actually getting a new, I got to get a new one this year because the ones that I have are, they're super thin. And in my younger days, I would just be quite content sleeping on a thin, uneven ground but now i got you know like arthritis and stuff so it's like my body's like ah but those, those, those ones, they take up so much space like 
Okay. All yeah. Right. Drop so, the knowledge on me, Ruben. Look at it this way. Um, how many things can you do with your inflatable pad? You could probably sleep on it and sit on it, right? Yeah. Closed cell phone pad, you know, a lot of them are like they fold up to a certain point. So you can fan the flames like you wouldn't believe better, stronger than you ever could blowing on it, even if you have those little straw things, uh, tubes. So it fans the flames amazingly well. I don't use backpacks with frames. I only use frameless because I'm not taking enough weight to need that. So that foam pad now is right up against my back and my backpack. That's my frame. Or you can corral it around kind of like a bit of a circle and put all your gear inside. It keeps it real uniform. Um, so it, it does a lot of things in, in that way. Um, I carry this tough possum um, sit pad all the time for everyday hike. And it's my pillow when I'm hammock camping. I don't use the pillow when I'm hammock camping, but it's my insulation behind my, you know, neck, head, and I would say that whole area. And if it ever, <laughs> let's say, as it happens, the hammock falls down, at least I got a little padding behind me. Um, but it, it's they are very bomb-proof closed cell phone pads. And if it's really cold, you can always add another one that's maybe thinner. It's going to add to it. And strap it. I, I don't like to strap anything to the bottom or the top of the pack. I just don't. It throws everything off. But if you had to, they're a lot easier to add an extra one of those um, than having two inflatable ones. I got a friend. He's uh, he's, he's from the Philippines. But he's, he lives out here in New Jersey, and he loves winter camping. He's one that really got me into cold, cold weather camping. And he takes an inflatable. He also carries about 100 pounds a year. No lie. <laughs> Inflatable pad and two closed cell phone pads, mm -hmm. full length, freezes in, in, in 10 to 20 degrees Fahrenheit weather. Still, he freezes with, uh, with all that. He's a cold sleeper, and some people are. But uh, you can just do a lot more with a new jazz, that's what I think. Uh, if, if it gets punctured by a nail or a machete or something for some unknown reason because stuff happens, um, you'll be happy you didn't have an inflatable one. Are you using those so. bolos I sharpened as pillows or something? Or is that just how <laughs> you sleep at night underneath your tarp, ready to fight the chipmunk that's sneaking around your tarp? <laughs> Speaking of, those chipmunks are evil, and they will scare you. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, so think about gear, like, in that way of where things can happen. I'm just going to think of one example real quick. I was on a trip in 2000, and I'm going to say 2011, with the Reynolds Adventure and Training, and we were in Peru, and all the backpacks were on the ground. When the boat showed up, we all threw backpacks. I never let anybody handle my backpack. You'll never, you'll almost always see it with me in old pictures and new pictures. It's with me on the trip to a mountain or something. It rides in the front line. It, that's just my way of thinking. Um, and this was one of those days where everybody was throwing everybody's pack into the back of the boat, or maybe. I think it was the back of the boat and because we were all in the front and they, they found a way to balance it. And I placed mine on the top. I didn't throw it on there. And my parents says, Ruben, can you hand me my ruck? So I grab his, which is under mine, and I pull his <laughs> and I hear a rip. His bag had acquired a nail from the road, from the street. Oh. And it had made a hole in my... Uh, it's not ripstop nylon, but it's it's thinner. It's called spinnaker material. It sounds like tissue paper until it wears in and it's soft. And before the trip even started, now I have a hole in my backpack. And so something sharp like that could have also punctured the sleeping pad. 
So uh, yeah. Yeah, just think of that too. Or my hydration bladder, which is not the not a big deal. I would have just get any old two liter bottle I found somewhere and use that or the gallon. Um, I'm not fancy. So it, things like that, weird anomalies will happen like that. But then I wanted to ask you about, cause I know you're very minimalist, but then what about redundancy? Cause we've talked about that a couple of times on here where it's mm-hmm. like, everybody likes the saying of one is none and two is fucking one or whatever. But then like how many knives do you end up bringing? You know, do you bring five knives in case you dro- lose one in the woods? Like, and I know you like to keep things very lightweight, but then right. do you have redundancy in your kit or do you just? I have redundancies when it comes to fire. That's it. Okay. I won't have two ferro rods. I'll have one. I have matches and a lighter. I don't keep them all in the same place, obviously. Um, so that's it. That I would say when it comes to fire. That, but like, what about like first aid or anything like that? Are you bringing any kind of first aid with you when you go on these trips or not really? Oh, yeah. Yes. It's a great kit. It works. You'll love it. Duct tape. Okay. Neosporin. <laughs> super glue. A very small tube of super glue, like the really yeah. small ones. Um, if you've ever been out for a day or two when you're really sweating or it's raining and you need a Band-Aid, how long do you think it's really going to stay on there? It's not. Armor sticks. No, but duct tape does an, does an amazing job, especially if you can get it around and it, it now adheres to itself. That won't go anywhere. So if it's if I can't stop it with duct tape and I can't treat it like with Neosporin or Vaseline or Carmex or whatever, I'm probably I need primary care. You know, I, I really um, there's so many things you don't need in things a first aid kit. It, it, it's ridiculous. Um, I'm not saying that it's not an issue. On big expedition trips, there's always one person who's chosen to be the medic first aid guy. Now, we don't always have him, and we can't always depend on one person, but there's not a whole lot I can do for an arterial bleed besides a tourniquet. Um, so I, I just try to stay very realistic with it. Um, broken bone, nothing really in my first aid kit is going to help. So I really carry stuff for superficial cuts, really. Yeah. That's that's it. And a lot of hope. You hear that, Ross? <laughs> no suture kits. <laughs> I mean, you could really take it to any level when you think about it. Yeah. Wanting to have everything. And then you, what are you doing? You're just gearing up to go battle nature. You're gearing up for worst-case scenarios. And if that's your thing and that's the kind of trip you're on, the kind of way you like to travel, that's a very different thing. Um but I'm on a trail or on a boat and, you know, you just don't, I always have the mentality. If you don't have it, you probably don't need it. You can make do. not for everybody, but you know, for people that have a little bit of training. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, always, it's always the, I'm not saying, Hey, everybody go for it. Try it. No, but more skills, uh, less gear scenario. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's important. Yes. I don't know if I can think of anything else. News, uh, redundancies. Maybe I have an, two bandanas sometimes, one in my pocket and one in a kit. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, when it comes to cutting tools, maybe I, mean, I almost never have just one. But I uh, always have a Swiss Army knife. To me, that's not like that's like a belt or shoes. It's just it's going to be there. It's a permanent fixture. It's not something I add. Um, if I have a long blade, I won't always take a fixed blade. People think that's yeah. really you're the knife guy. Yeah, but. When I get to a point or uh, a trip where now I can take what I want, I don't have to write this up or photograph it for this person or for, I'm done testing. 
you'll find me with an 18-inch Tramontina machete and a Swiss Army knife um, on a jungle trip. Or if I go to take more tools because I have to test them, and that's the backstory in the jungle, I'll try to do it and get it out of the way. Now I'll leave them on the boat <laughs> or leave them under my hammock, under the you know the tarp, and then I'm using what I want. It's usually more, uh, 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 you know, a Swiss Army knife and Tramontina machete. <laughs> it really comes down to those those things because they're light, and it's the kind of trip where if it disappears, some things on trips like that, they grow legs and they walk away from the camp. Um, uh, yeah, I can see that. Sometimes they come back to you. Um, <laughs> not like Pet cemetery, but uh, they come back. <laughs> Better. But, Zombie anyway, um, <laughs> Now, would that like so, redundancy change, though, if you're going to different climates? Like, say, if you're going down to the Amazon where it's just, like, going up to the Adirondacks in the wintertime. Yeah, um, more layers. <laughs> oh yeah, obviously. Lots of not lots of socks. Yeah, I don't. Uh, so I, the first time I got frostbite was in New York. It was Harriman, Bear Mountain, not too far yeah. from the Indians, right? Yeah. And oh well, it's a weird one, but I I, I packed for Louisiana. Um, as he was flying Patrick and me to Louisiana to do a class for a very nice large law enforcement organization. So now it's December in Louisiana. It doesn't get that cold. I think the low is 55, and it's just humid, and we had rain. That's not cold. I had moccasins and trail runners. I was fine there. So after that, they flew me. I didn't have them fly me home back to California. Just out here to visit my brother in New Jersey. And the guy I met on the forum said, hey, I'm here. You're here. It, there's going to be a terrible storm. I'll come get you at 7 in the morning. So we had a great time, and uh, we did two or three days of that. And I, I chose, like, do I take the moccasins or the, the trail runners? And there were only bad choices on the table. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and it was early or mid-December at that point because we were there. six. Yeah. And you get snow around that time here. And it was one of those, like, early snowfall winters, I guess. I was just a visitor here. I didn't, I didn't live here at the time. So we went out for an overnighter. Great. I took the trail runners. <laughs> um, and after two or three different outings like that, I just had this tingling and never went away. I didn't go away for probably five months, I'm just going to say. And um, and then I got better footwear that I tried to during the week, you know, borrowing and because I was just going to be there for a little while. And so I didn't bring the right stuff right from, from the start. But redundancies will always, for me in cold weather, will be layers. I think, yeah, layers. I'm a hot sleeper. I don't require a lot of gear. I can use, I can wear a base layer and a fleece. And before I go to sleep, I'll have to put something else on or while I'm, while I'm sleeping, a Mexican poncho. Um, yeah. Polyester dries faster. Um, but I, I don't, my gear doesn't change too much, honestly. I add thicker, I add a thicker pair of socks to sleep at night when it's 20 degrees or below. That's the difference between my regular backpacking kit that sits at around four to four and a half pounds. Well, it also um, changes too because you're not moving anymore, and that's the issue I have come hunting season up here, where it's right. like you you have you end up packing everything on your pack because yeah, you're walking a couple miles into the woods, but then you're about to sit for hours. Right. That's like yeah, it's, you're right. It's, yeah, it's tough to not, acclimate for when that. You're not moving. You're not creating heat and you know it's so funny too that you bring you bring up harriman because the last time i kept harriman and this goes to show you like best laid plans don't always work out 
we camped Harriman and it was late May and it was supposed to be, you know, in the sixties and beautiful and nice. And there was like a freak like weather event came through and it was in the like low forties, upper thirties, the entire weekend. And it was absolutely miserable because I wasn't prepared. You know, I was prepared for 60 degrees. I was putting two pairs of socks on just to keep my feet warm. Cause when you're outside in 40 degrees for, you know, a day, two days, like you're cold. <laughs> so it was, yeah, uh, it was not, it was not a fun, it was not a fun trip. And we actually ended up calling it early because I did have the kids and it just was too, uh, it was too dangerous to, you know, keep right. little kids out there. So Harriman you know, is kind of known for that. Like it is, yeah, it, it is just weird, changes it is a weird place. Man. Happened, well, it's, right? it's a whole, like, cause that's right down the road from me, but the weather up here gets stupid because it, it's kind of flat, but it's just hills in New Jersey, and then it hits the mountain ranges. Right. So that's why you, you can never, you never know what the weather's going to be like up here because it hits this one mountain range, and then the rest over towards New York, there's more, but from Jersey up, there's not that. So once it hits that wall, the weather just gets fucking <laughs> yeah. nuts. Sure does, right? Yeah, I think the Harriman last winter wasn't so bad, but in one day it had rained and snowed, and the sun came out seven times before it was time to go to sleep. And it just like, it almost reminded me of some places where I could think of Hawaii. <laughs> if you don't like the weather, you just wait a few minutes and then it's going to change. <laughs> it was like that. Uh, the year before the winter was different up in Harriman. Again, with my same friend who's a cold sleeper. And on top of that, he likes to use a hammock. So, <laughs> and this guy likes camping gear. in the winter. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. takes a sled when it's um, really <laughs> snowy just to, keep, yeah. to carry all his gear. Um, that's how much gear he takes. But we were thinking the low should be, the absolute low should be 16 to 20 degrees. To me, when it gets below 20 degrees, uh, like I said, all, all I really do is bring another pair of socks. Um, and I don't change the tarp up. I don't change anything. Um, I just really don't. But it got to eight. It got to eight degrees, and the wind was beyond howling. And like I don't, I, I didn't pick the best place to sleep. It just, it's my spot. I like to be away from people. Yeah, I'm gonna get a little bit of that, but I got a bivy and a tarp. I'm not worried about you know the breeze. It was it was wasn't the best place as far as where the wind hits. But I was just backpacking. I wasn't like trying to stay alive for 50 days out there. I don't mind wind. And um, it just, it was unrelenting. And that was Harriman. And we got a lot of snow. And snow on a small backpacking tarp, just you have a responsibility every now and then when you wake up to just hit it, give it a little backhand, you know, a little pimp slap every now and then get the snow off. <laughs> and that's it, really. I don't do a whole lot. I'm always set up in a lean-to or like a flying flying dragon or what was that a video game? Was that a movie? I um, think that's a karate. Plow point. They call it plow point now, I guess. But <laughs> the flying dragon is when you actually kick the board out. <laughs> yeah, I love those old kung fu movies. <laughs> yeah, so redundancies again, uh, just that I have two pairs of socks. That sounds kind of boring, right? I don't really gear up that much. Um, I might change the gloves. I where it's kind of ironic that the guy who writes all these reviews for gear for magazines doesn't take gear with them. <laughs> I'm the worst person to ask about gear sometimes because it's like if you want to camp the way I camp, you are gonna you're not gonna like it. And it doesn't mean you're gonna suffer. I'm I, I said this a couple weeks ago on the Fieldcraft Survival podcast. I'm always I always sleep better than anybody. 
I'm always warm. I'm always dry. And I'm always comfortable. Those, that's it. I'm always hydrated now. Um, but um, that's it. I, I'll, I'll go with guys that have uh, just so much gear. And I just watch them be miserable in the morning. Like, who slept well? Raise your hand. <laughs> They'll, they usually laugh at me. People, are, I've been in several different camps, either with students, with friends I haven't seen, with friends of theirs. We're all going to a place, and they pretty much laugh at my bag. And like, you're going to freeze to death. And, right. Okay. I haven't changed my gear since 2007. Very much. Very much. Um, it, it's really stayed the same. I use a Foster's beer can with the top removed the safety mm-hmm. can opener so it's um and that became too big because i don't blow that much water um but i still keep it with me sometimes i'll change it out for just a like regular size soda can beer can 12 ounces because that's really a lot to do instant coffee or noodles if, if i wanted to do that um so i yeah i have a very simple gear list it's boring like that's it that's all you need yeah. But you know, if, if, you, if you have it dialed in, you're happy. You know, that's that's really important because you know we always like you said. You mentioned the guys they like run around with like seventy five pound packs and they have everything but the kitchen sink, like you know, in their pack. The thing is that people don't take into account is that you know, especially like the uh, like the bug out bag crowd. Like, can you actually move that seventy five pound bag over distance? And for how long have you trained have you trained to do that and even if you've trained to do that moving that much weight sucks and it, it drains you yeah <laughs> you know? the answer is no they probably can't yeah so you maybe know, they have like, trained I, for it i used to i used to roll with about 30 pounds that was my you know my comfort zone and um, base weight or weight. total total like, weight total weight food total, right. total total weight like 30 pounds that's um, not bad because if you're considering water, food, consumables, yeah. that's not a high weight. Uh, no, it's not. Base it's weight, not terrible. Uh, yeah, but you know now, like even for you know when I do like day hiking or even like a, like a, a fast overnight, I, I don't know, like a haversack. <laughs> you know, like I don't, right. I don't need, I don't need that much stuff because I, I always found like I brought stuff that I didn't use. And I know, like, you talked about this on the Fieldcraft um, thing, but, you know, like, take things out and put them in a box and, you know, and start paring down the stuff that you don't use. And, of course, there's always going to be stuff that you want to have, even though you hopefully don't need it, like a med kit, you know? And I think I right. mentioned that on that podcast. You know, it's yeah, really, you know, I hope I never have to use a Tony kit or something like that, but I always I always have one. You know, that's, that's really important. But, yeah, you know... You, you mentioned having a Swiss Army knife and, you know, one of those, like, kind of unsung pieces of gear that people don't really take take into account the importance of having is something like a Swiss Army knife or a multi-tool. Like, I carry a very small Leatherman on me. And that thing gets more use than any knife, than any other right. piece of gear that I've ever used because it's got little pliers, it's got little scissors, it's got... Scissors, you know, right. Yeah, super important. Like you don't you don't think like scissors are like what do you need scissors for? But there's such a quality of life thing that you want to have scissors. It's, it's, it's amazing. They're the best thing I think you could have on one of the best tools on the Swiss Army knife. Scissors, yeah. Scissors, so great, you know, and it's, uh, like, it's I mean, things like that. Here's a funny story. Yeah, I think it's okay. I set a trap for what I thought was going to be a squirrel or a rabbit, and ended up with a chipmunk. <laughs> well, guess what? You, and your you don't waste it. <laughs> And having that little pair of scissors was a lot easier to use <laughs> than even the small blade. And it was yeah. kind of funny and ridiculous, and I probably took some snapshots of it, but uh, there's a good point. Uh, there's a good time when the scissors come in handy. 
Yeah, the the saw, in my opinion, is one of the best saws in the business. So, what did you end up actually getting out of Chipmunk? Did you even get like a fun size nugget out of it, or? Yeah, it was okay. It was. Okay. Yeah, I, <laughs> okay. I think I forget what I did with it. I might have just boiled it and ate it that way, which is kind of a waste because if you're smart about it, you just you just put it in the pot and don't waste any of the nutrients. Let it all uh, kind of stew together. Come across that often in in the jungle where. We do a kill class and teach people how to just, uh, you know, get a chicken down to the point where now you can eat it. But a lot of steps go into that, um, dispatching it and then getting rid of the feathers, getting it down to the point where now you can cook it. And it just seems cool and fun and romantic to put it over a swamp grill and have that a little flame hitting it and every now and then kissing it. And it's just kind of getting that flame roll. But you're, you're, you, unless you're in the backyard on vacation, you are wasting a lot of a lot. <laughs> if yeah, you put it in a pot and boiled it, you're losing a lot of fat. You lose nothing. Fat. Exactly. Yeah, so, fat, fat, fat. so uh, yeah, boiling it, you'd get the most out of it. But I don't know anybody who really wants to have very hot chicken soup in a hot, humid environment. Yeah. <laughs> or boiled chipmunk while they're out in Harriman. Yeah. And it wasn't in Harriman, by the way, with that chipmunk. Someone yeah. likes yeah, that we not won't disclose in case the DEP is listening. Not in the state park. There all, <laughs> all the alphabet soup agencies are listening to yes. our podcast. Because, you know, I, I never, ever forage in state parks because that would be against the law, and that is bad. Yeah. You can't do that. No, no. Who would it's do like that? I don't, I don't trespass to go fishing. That would be bad. Don't um, do that. Who would ever do that? Right. Nuge, you gave me a gift a few weeks ago, and I'm going to partake in it right now. And this is something called Doc Cider. It's listeners. good, man. It is. I haven't had the peach. This is peach. I have had the apple before. See the peaches are in season ah. up here, too. So that's all fresh. Oh, oh man. Fresh well, I appreciate fresh it. Fresh as it is now. You did a favor for me by sharpening two of my bolos, and then you gave me a gift on top of it. That's how friendship should be, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you also kind of got me into this little thing called Knives Illustrated and then ended up on the cover of that. So that's You got right. yourself in there. All I did was make an introduction. <laughs> I mean, I know personally, I'm very good at drinking Nuge's beer, so. <laughs> very fucking good at drinking Nuge's beer. Ah. Well, you didn't. Well, yeah. yeah, there we go. Real quick, guys. Uh, so people can't don't realize that we're actually uh, seeing each other through the, the power of technology on video. Um, but I got the Nines Illustrated issue that Nuge is in. And it, it, funny story behind that picture is. I looked at I looked at the pictures. I always keep the pictures for at least a year on my camera before I erase it. When I saw this cover, I remembered which picture it was, and that was the first of three pictures I took of that setting, that that lifestyle shot. And I was pretty sure of it, but then I got my camera out and I looked, and sure enough, it was the first of the three pictures. And that's kind of what they chose for the cover. And the way it worked out was I borrowed uh, Shane's laptop. Oh, no, sorry, I say laptop his um, tripod for for the weekend and because i knew i was going to have some new gear from um, some people to photograph for magazine articles and i always like to use a big camera on a tripod um to start with and long story short we're at the farm at jeff randall's place and he's coming over in the Kubota over toward the cabin and i can hear him and i thought i have some decent light now we're on the porch of the cabin tomorrow early morning. We're teaching the class. I'm not going to be in the mood to be getting like this shot. I don't know what weather's going to be like. So I have, until he gets here on that Kubota <laughs> to take the shot. So I set up the camera. I don't use a, 
a wire cable. So I set the timer for two seconds, maybe four. And I had it framed the way I want. He's getting closer. I'm looking. I got the heavy cover of the Yuko flashlight and stuff that Patrick gave me. That's my backpack. That's about it. And I ranged it. I thought that looks pretty good. Got a little reflection. Took one shot, two shots. Now he's waving. And then by the time he got there, I took maybe the last shot. And then I just put the camera aside and just kind of pushed everything to the side. And it was uh, whoever thought that was going to be. Um, I thought it would be the lead photo in the article, but not the, uh, the front one cover. So it was, that's kind of uh, funny how it happened. And I don't mean like it. I was just, um, I didn't just wing it. I kind of had an idea of how to how to do it and how I wanted it. But uh, I never did take any other lifestyle shots that weekend before I started using them and getting them dirty, so to speak. But they don't really get that dirty. Well, I just happened to get him to uh, took the last second too before he actually got down there. I was right. We had that uh, coming down to the meeting. wire there. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I right remember you were you were stressed out about that too. You're like, I gotta get these done. Oh, when the fuck I mean, you am could I always stress out? <laughs> I feel like there's always something that's like this is the urgent problem of today. Um, not it's like, and you look back at you forget that that was the urgent problem, but that's just how life is at times with those things. How is it? Peachy, peachy. It's yeah, sweet though, it's but good. it's not like over. It's sweeter like, than I remember. Me. Docks. Have you ever been up there? Um, so no, I'm have not. Getting his palate ready. Yeah, no, I have not. The only time I've had I had docks was in Red Hook in Brooklyn. That's because you know it's semi-local. Yeah. Um, besides that, I don't know if I've seen it any other place. Well, I know you're so, a no, man thanks. of cider, so I've it's, never had docks. It's something I have to try now. I like the size too. It's Nice 22. 22. Okay. Good. If you're trying to get drunk, honestly, Warwick Wineries is the best place to go because they'll sell you that bottle for six ninety nine. You get like three <laughs> drinks out of it, or you could buy a 16-ounce for six bucks. I'm like, uh, okay. Please. <laughs> Who would want to get drunk these days? I'll take the bigger bottle. Thank you very much, bartender, for telling me that. Yeah, so <laughs> nice. Trying, just don't go on the weekends because that's the problem with us being close to New York City is it gets mobbed with people. So like during, yeah, during the week, there's nobody there, but you on the all, weekend, all the, you uh, the yuppies going up to the country. Yeah, and then you get me just having another thing to be angry about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know it, it's it's so funny because we have uh, you know pretty much daily calls with me and Tom, and every every call starts with the, my phone rings. I pick up the phone, I go Thomas, and then he goes off and on some rant about something that he's upset. <laughs> some <laughs> other fucking bullshit or problem or something's broken, something, uh, something's <laughs> problem, somebody's annoying him. I just dropped like eight <laughs> knives on the concrete floor or something yeah, like that. General. Yeah. General grumpery. So I don't know. Maybe yeah. you should drink some cider in the morning, and it will make you uh, feel. Yeah, I think so. I think that makes me an around. alcoholic. <laughs> 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 I think that's what it would make me. Sir, you're There's only an alcoholic if you have to drink cider. I'm all 100 Irish, Nick. I've, I've got enough people in my family that have tried that method. It doesn't quite always work out the best for them <laughs> for being productive so. members of society. I mean, I don't know. I'm 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 Italian, so I've been drinking wine since I was like eight years old with dinner. It was just what we did. Wow. <laughs> you know, big, big jug of, uh, of, of red Chianti on the table. And that was just a uh, standard Wine's operating good. procedure. I used to be a real wine guy. I used to be. And here's a fun fact. I didn't start drinking until I was about 37 years old, maybe 36. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Never, never uh, did any drinking. And uh, despite all the High school bands, after high school, traveling bands, musicians being around that entire scene. Never really even tried anything. 
So, so does any so blues like, ever make it into the packs? Uh, of course not. <laughs> 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 no. Um, Unnecessary no, weight. Yeah, that. I was going to say, like, wh- where do you cut out the luxuries and all that thing? Because, you know, you ain't camping. If you oh, that's a necessity. Thing. And also remember, <laughs> it's it's a consumable. So because it is, you don't count that in your base weight. So oh, it's of course. Loophole. Base weight is still the same. The things yeah. that re- that you know you would use and replenish consumables uh, that can fluctuate. That's okay. No, that's it's, right. it's it's funny. Uh, you talk about consumables, and like I know people who go camping, and I see a lot of pictures on on the uh, Instagram of people doing like steaks and all kinds of beautiful things while they're out camping. And for me, like if I'm going out there, I bring like dry stuff. Like I don't need flavors. I don't need to enjoy my food. I just need fuel. <laughs> so, kinda, you need to make a good uh, military guy. I guess you know. I don't know. I mean, but when I come home, it's like all I want to do is eat. I'm like, give me the greasiest, tastiest thing that you could possibly yeah. do. But you know, it's I don't. It's just always kind of how I've been. Um, and that's fine. I mean, you know, we did when I was a kid. We did a, a hike out in Yosemite, which was awesome. And it was like uh, you know a big all day you know, intense hike. And we got back to the camp and my uncle had steaks and I, uh, I never had steak before and I ate that steak and that was the best steak I ever ate in my life. <laughs> it, it often is when you're I, outside. I guess I could appreciate that, but I don't know, man. I, I just, I bring like, I bring cereals, I'll bring jerky, you know, stuff that's, that's easy to pack. It's light that I don't really have yeah. to prepare. Like I've gone a couple of days right. without having to cook anything. Cause oh, yeah, I non cooked food, preserved foods because it's easier. Yeah. And then I don't have to worry about carrying cook stuff, you know. So but it depends on what so. you're trying to do, though. You know, if like if you're not like if you're going car camping like Ruben does all the time, like you don't have to worry about the gear and <laughs> right. the weight and everything, you know. You like because sometimes like I know Nick is talking about those guys who cook steaks while camping because that's what I fucking did last summer when camping. <laughs> Jerk off! I had I the mushrooms, not, I had the onions. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not I carried I'm just cast iron off my <laughs> boat that I brought. That's <laughs> thing is your survival boat. Survival vessel. Everybody's different. My wife gets mad at me because, like, she's always, like, talking about the stuff that we need to go camping with the kids. I'm like, oh, we don't need that. And she's like, no, you don't need that. But if the kids are miserable, they're never going to want to go camping ever again. So you got to get them the nice stuff. So I don't know. I'm, I'm more of, like, the go outside and suffer kind of guy. And, uh, well, it depends on, like, the time you want to put into it as well. Like, there's times when we go all – we always do a salmon fishing trip up on the Canadian border every winter. And, like, when I go there, like, some of the guys want to spend all the time cooking and everything else after we get back to the lodge. But, like – I'm fucking tired, and I just want to retie whatever flies I need. So they make fun of me for bringing goop, which is just like a giant tub of like chicken and rice that I just throw hot sauce in after I microwave it. And they're like, "Oh yeah, new just got a scoop that again." Like a, but I'm like, like it work. Fucking calories, man. And then like, but then I'm tying flies while they're all still, you know, cooking for the next two hours. And it's like, all right, well, how many? My my box is filled, and you guys want to stay up and now do this? I'm like, no, I'm going right back to bed. Because yeah. I'm full of my goop. Yeah. I mean, whatever, whatever makes you happy. That's, that's what it says. It doesn't make me happy. It makes me full. Well, then well, stop complaining. Stop it checks the box. Yeah, right. exactly. It's fuel. That's what it is. It's not like I'm not lighting a candle and heating up my chicken and rice with the Franks on it. Like, you know, it's not supposed to be that kind of meal. It's just supposed to be energy. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm with you on that, Nick. Um, when, I, when I did a lot of backpacking and a lot of it, the majority of it, was in California. There was we only we only always had a fire ban. It was never like, yeah, you're in the backcountry, 
Sure, yeah, you're yeah, allowed to me. Yeah. Never allowed to fire. fire you either do it smart, you do it real smart, like, or you just don't do it. And non-cooked food on the go when you're thinking about weight, all you have when you're done is a Ziploc bag or a wrapper. That weighs nothing. Um, keep it in your pocket, keep it in a Ziploc bag. It it takes it. It could be good, it could be fun, and it takes all the um, the guesswork out of it. You don't need to cook a, a just just being able to. I mean, we were big on if it was cold winter time and often was we would just take things that were really high in fat like rice krispie treats things that like you don't have to cook it's full of a lot of calories you that's a good time to cheat if you think you're on a diet or something go in cold weather and rethink it um so calories are are key you really (laughs) need that like so it was our time to and think about it you can still have like sausages sausages that you um forget hot dogs yeah you can have hot dogs that are already cooked but like a ham steak or something like sausages, Italian sausages, maybe you boil them up, you cook them before. You can eat them cold or lukewarm. Yeah. Uh, anything that has nuts, raisins, stuff like that, backpacker type of food, um, spam, all that stuff. Like you can eat really well. And then there's cold soaking. You can cold soak where, you know, you have a um, bottle of sorts, put your oatmeal or grits or some dehydrated type of foods. And, you kind of cold soak it. It usually takes 30 minutes to an hour before it's at the point where now you can eat it. Um, yeah, so, so there's that, all types of ways. <laughs> right. like- so again, back to the non-cooked stuff. Um, yeah. It's so easy. It's fast. Yeah. And all you really need is a Swiss Army knife for that. So yeah, also the, those little high fat eateries are also like the little morale boosters too. So like, you right. have a nice little rice crispy to give you a little pep and you're like, oh, this is a nice like little luxury that I can have right now while actually still giving yourself the calories you need. Definitely. And when I'm doing winter trips with um, there's like two or three guys I do winter trips with because it's cold, because we don't see each other all that often, maybe a couple of times a month in the winter. Um, we take a lot of food. Now, he's got a certain site in Harriman. Uh, I meant uh, Harry Little Camp, not Harriman. I forgot I said that. Mountain place. Not Definitely not New there. York. Not that place. Oh, God, no. We go there. Um, there is a grill and some very weird, large, like a flat skillet with handles. It's been out there forever. And so we're not really walking in much cookware. I mean, I always carry a pair of chopsticks. I'm a chopstick guy. Um, so uh, we really are just bringing the food that we're going to eat. There's not going to be much left of it. Uh, packaging and trash, but we'll, we'll do a substantial amount of cooking several times, whether you like it or not. I don't get much of an appetite outdoors, but I always camp with the guys that do. So we always got fire going from, um, if not the time we get there, when it, when it starts to, you know, winter, think about it, like three thirty, it's getting dark, right? It starts to get <laughs> dark. And when it gets dark, that's when we light the fire. Cause you spend a good, I would say a good two hours just trying to bring wood in, processing it, which kind of goes back to the uh, cold weather and, and why you don't always need a lot of gear to stay warm because cold weather presents uh, the most amazing opportunity to practice skills and stay warm at the same time. So if you've, if you've ever been in freezing snow around any conditions and you get a buck saw out or any saw and you start sawing wood, you're going to warm up fast. But if you're split Real fast, right? So, uh, I, most of the camping that I do is, is pretty solo. And when I'm winter camping and there's, you know, my shelter, it's often a tarp over a, a fallen tree, which makes, I have a little pole bed in there. 
Um, right outside of that, I have a saw right there because if I get out and I'm having a hard time staying warm, which never happens, I can start sawing. And it, it'll take literally one minute of sawing. You know what, what that's like. <laughs> you'll you'll yeah, it's, a lot, it's a lot of work. Right. People think it it's is, easy, uh, but it's, it's but not. Collecting and processing. And, you know, like they say, fire warms you three times or even four times. Right. Collecting, processing, using it. Um, so that's what another reason I like uh, winter camping so much. And there's a lot of really great rocks there. This fictitious place I'm talking about and where I like to camp. <laughs> They're just there's just the right thickness and the right type of rock that makes a great frying pan or That's, a great it's griddle. fun cooking over the rocks too it is it really is uh, I've, I mean I have covers of magazines that I've I've done where it's just a cooking setup and I'm actually working on winter cooking using nature and stuff for a magazine now and uh, a lot of stock photos but yeah it's tricky I can only recommend that when you do start cooking with rocks and or you're using a rock as a back, like you know, reflector um, to let it burn for a while, good and hot, while you are away from it, just in case you have that kaboom. Well, yeah, I like to call it cut and paste information because <laughs> sometimes you can try your hardest to get a, something to explode and fire, and it just doesn't happen. This, um, you know, I, I know a couple guys where it has happened to, but often what happens with a rock is it just kind of goes. <laughs> and just like cracks in place and crumbles yeah. or something. Only one time have I ever seen it, like just kind of shoot a little piece out or something. And I was not in the area. So, but it's just good to let it, um, it doesn't necessarily need to be a river stone to explode, to hold that residual moisture. It could just be in a place that is in the shade a lot. So now it retains more moisture, a place that's really humid, all these things to consider. Um, like in the Southwest, that almost never happens using a rock because there's very little water. Things don't sit in the water, and there's enough rocks outside of the water. Where you don't have to pick a big stone. Um, but, yeah, using uh, nature's frying pan, let them carry the heavy stuff. That's what I say. <laughs> Sometimes I carry a grill, but it's really just a little grate from, like, a small refrigerator or something that's been burned enough where all that bad stuff has been burned off. Yeah, you already breathed in a while ago, so it doesn't matter now. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. If I'm if I'm doing stuff with the kids or something like you know, like a car camping trip or just like, you know, like whatever. Yeah, you can you know bring a grill, bring a bunch of stuff. Like you know, even like when we did the scout camping uh, a couple weeks ago, like I loaded my car with all kinds of stuff because I was like you know I don't know what the other scout people are bringing. And I don't know what we're gonna need, and you know, and ninety percent of it stayed in my trunk and never never even left because I didn't use it. But you know, it's like I got kids. You know, I want to make sure. Yeah, you want them to have fun. I want them to have fun because my wife keeps yelling at me that I can't torture them. So you know, it is what it is. But uh, I mean, it's hard enough to get to get people of a certain age or any age to go outdoors now more yeah. than ever. So yeah, yeah, it's a good exactly. place to start. Fun, fun yeah. is a good place to start. <laughs> I'm fortunate because my son is very much into the outdoors, um, and he's he's seven. So you know, it, it's it's fun. Uh, my daughter yeah. is 13 and she's not so much into it. And I kind of have no one to blame but myself because when she was younger, we used to do some crazy hikes. Like we would do, you know, 10, 12 miles with her and she was like five. 
hated every minute of it because yeah. we were out there for you know eight hours and she's like why are you doing this to me but, um, <laughs> why do you hate me yeah <laughs> so it's like, my legs hurt i mean i would i'd be carrying her she'd be on my shoulders isn't this fun we're having fun yeah yeah, but, yeah you know fun. um so I think she's got some some trauma experience from from all, all those hikes we did in upstate New York. But, um, but you know what I yeah. mean. That's it. You know I don't know. So I, I have I have the opportunity to allow my son to have fun in the great outdoors, <laughs> and not not ruin it. Very cool. So I don't. Know. I'm hoping that when she gets yeah. older, she'll she'll appreciate uh, you know all the woods, especially because like I mean Tom's been up where I live. I I basically live you know surrounded by woods, so there's really nothing else to do up here. So I guess you better get used to uh, liking it. <laughs> yeah, and learn to like it. <laughs> yeah, learn to like it. But uh, but on another note, on a, going in a different direction, something I, I wanted to talk about a little bit uh, before we wrapped up was survival skills that were that you are important, but you don't really see them taught in classes, or you don't find them in books and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. guess for me, like if I had to pick one of them, it would be understanding the ecosystems that you're in. Um, I mean, this is important, and I always look at this because I'm coming from a you know ed- educational background of environmental science, ecosystem management, and uh, wildlife management. So that's always something that I looked at because I was fascinated in it. And as yeah. I began to incorporate that stuff into my outdoor activities and survival uh, learning and training and stuff like that, there's a lot of information that you can gather about water sources, food sources shelter, weather, inclement weather, and and things like that from being able to understand the environment that you're in and understanding how the organisms in that that environment are interacting with one another or acting. Um, You know, and I I think, unfortunately, we don't see too much of that in in survival courses. Um, But, you know, it's... But also, how do you you teach someone that? You know, I have eight years of, of formal education to to fall back on there where it's like, yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about, you know, tracking things and, you know, and watching predators for prey and, and watching the movement of, of animals towards um, water sources. But, you know, there's just so much deeper that you can go into it. And, you know, I try to incorporate a lot of that into um, what I'm doing in, in the black flag courses, you know, I talk a lot about mm-hmm. it, like we did in the water. Yeah, courses, a lot of awareness. A lot about the microbes that live in water and the other hazards that you could find in water because it's like, you know, we talk about boiling water and yeah, boiling water will kill most organisms, but it doesn't remove chemicals, doesn't remove pesticides that we found that are, you know, being leached into the water from farmland and all that stuff. And yeah, right. chances are if you're just out there for a day and you're drinking water, it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt you. But if you're like right. like a guy, all, all the t- yeah, you're doing it. Time, like over time, yeah, those chemicals are gonna build up in your body and make you really sick. So right. you'll anyway, grow another yeah. finger or a third eyeball yeah, or something. So, right. yeah, over or, time, you know, like, over time. Yeah, or you know something more terrible like cancer. You know, so yeah, something like it's, that. It's uh, you know, so there's a lot that goes on out there. So I think that, that if I had to pick like a skill that's not really taught, that would be that would be the one that I would go with. What do you think, Ruben? Sounds like like a lot of skills, a lot, of, but yeah, overall, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's not like awareness skill, of yeah, more like uh, in depth type of stuff. And but is yeah, that really that, a that skill you can teach? Like, because I was thinking about that too. You can't really teach awareness. That's from being. I don't know. I feel like from getting caught with your pants down is what makes you aware. Like, 
You can only tell somebody something's going to happen so much until it actually does, and then they start realizing these kind of things. And it's like you almost need to have the, them happen to really understand that. So it's like you can't really teach that. Well, but you, know what you, but you know what you could do is, is you could teach preparation and proper planning. I mean, and how much work does it take to Google about the place that you're going to to find out potential hazards that could possibly be there? You know, it's... Well, maybe this is me being a thick-headed Mick that, like, the way <laughs> people would always in the Boy Scouts really try to tell me, hey, you really want to prepare, you really want to plan. But then you would go on the trip where all you had was a single box of neutral grain bars for three days. And you're like, oh, so this is what y'all were talking about. <laughs> to really stick in your head. And then almost like the teachings come back, you almost need it mixed with the actual time out there. So I don't know. It's tough. Because it's like you yeah. need both. Experience. Um my thought is this um, uh, a skill that you don't see a lot written in written words. Uh, you don't, you know, it's not something that you will come across in a class, especially not an intro class or like, um, yeah, it's something I would say comes from experience. It is a skill. And I guess the best way to say it is suffering something about that. Um, so this is a conversation I have often with Patrick, you know, Patrick, Nick, I don't know if you got to meet him. He's at Blade I, Show. Very briefly, very briefly. But right. talk to my place. So, uh, we have this conversation so much that we've done trips on our own, just, you know, small trips where we're not with a big group of people or even if we're in an environment that's not amazing to everybody's, uh, we're up to everybody's standards. Um, enduring the suck and just kind of saying, this is this, this is how it's going to be. And this is okay. You can just, uh, acclimate it, acclimate to it pretty quickly. Not everybody could do that. Not everybody could do that. I think so much has to do with maybe your upbringing or what you've been used to your comfort zone. So my greatest skill outdoors, I would say is the ability to suffer. And what I mean by that is, like uh, you were talking about your daughter going on the hike, right? So she already is at a point mentally of like, oh, that was bad. But like if you do shorter hikes or if she were to do another hike and it's not as bad, it's like you got that mental toughness to start with, mm -hmm. to build on. And I look at that over the course of several years um, from the time I was four years old camping and hiking with my grandfather and brother and my cousin until by the age of, let's say, 12, so many storms getting lost. I've been lost several mm -hmm. times. All these things add to that mental toughness, and it takes a while. A lot of stupidity comes into play, which is a great tool. Um, a lot of mistakes, which are actually uh, rewards and benefits that haven't quite developed yet. Um, yep. So I feel about mistakes. You make enough of them, it's just not as bad as the last time. Well, that time isn't as bad as the last time, and I'm, I'm talking just walking 12 miles in snow, pretty lost. Um, the next time is not as bad. So when you have these building blocks of really suffering, because <laughs> there's yeah. no other way I could say it, it, it makes it so your comfort zone completely shrinks. Now, I could fit travel into that and say, well, how many people have had to sleep on a train, overnight train? How many people had to sleep in like the worst part of the airplane with, you know, just all these things that can make you uncomfortable. They all kind of go into the pot, I think. And it makes it easier to just sit around and everything is kind of 
let's say, coming down on you, rain, could be trees all around you, you have no control over, and you just mentally can take that without without caring, without feeling like it's going to prevent you from having a good trip. Uh, you're not in immediate danger. It's just uncomfortable. That's, I, I would say, I've slept with 13 hours of nonstop rain hitting my feet, and I had to make a choice. Is it going to hit my head or my feet? Yeah. <laughs> Little things like this. Um, wherever, I would say whatever trips I've been on. Definitely. Long it, miles, it, high altitude, it, all that together. It, it's, it's like you can't teach that to an intro survival or, or parent-child class where because it, it it's not for them to know yet. They just um, Yeah, they I, I agree. I think that, you know, some people, and like you said, like the upbringing, I think definitely has something to do with that, and some people are naturally better at it than others, but it definitely comes through experience, and something that we used to say, like, in the, in the rucking world is get comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, and, right. I, and that was, that's something that always stuck with me, because it's like, mm. yeah, you know what, and I and I know people who have very, very low tolerance for discomfort, you know, they have yeah, right, right. a lot of them, and they're, and they're done, but me, it's like, oh, you know, my, my yeah, I, I stubbed my toe, my toenail's hanging off, I got a blister on the side of my foot, like, you know, it's, right. it's it comes along with the territory, you know, but. Right, and a lot of the people that, that have that. practice. Sure, a lot of people who are, they, you know, they get uncomfortable very quickly, often like to go on long trips <laughs> with other people that kind of can get annoyed with that. And I say I'm not annoyed by <laughs> students or anything, but even your own friends could be like, uh, you know, making something really, really just overboard when it's just like barely raining. It's like, oh, it's cold. We're going to, you know, worst case scenario in their head. They have nothing to really rely on. Um, but that's when you really so, get to learn the limits of what you can right? go in and what's uh, actually dangerous. You have to. So the reason I say I feel that's maybe one of my strongest skills is is because I've I've had much um, I have had a lot of those situations. I don't just mean outdoors in other countries and other other you know wildernesses, but uh, for a short time in my life, my brother and my mother we lived in a car. So you sleep in all different conditions, weather related, uh, different places. There's other things to worry about, and. Um, yeah, I remember my grandfather was one of the toughest people. He was a Marine and a chemist. So he was like super intelligent, very disciplined. And I remember him one time, like with a chainsaw and going through something and like hitting the shit and kind of walking like with a limp. And his words were just a scratch. It's like, nice. I was a little kid. And then like not too long after that, I remember he was doing something on the rooftop and kind of rolled off and fell. <laughs> He's kind of laid there for a while and got up and just kind of shook it off and stuff like that all the time. Like I was just kind of around, I wouldn't say mishaps like that, but people not making a big deal over something that would mostly, like I would say most people would just kind of panic or like, oh, wow, that was really bad. <laughs> so having all those things to kind of build on, I think really help to the point where um, weather will never deter me. I'm not stupid. I'm not going to just, you know, march out into a big blizzard although I have several times <laughs> because I can't feel I can stand up in front of a crowd of, of people, um, military personnel, U.S. Marshals, Homeland Security people, or even children, and teach and tell about these things unless I have done it in the worst possible way. So I think that, like, the willingness to, to just go for it and say, it's going to be really hot, 
really humid and rain a lot. Well, I hate heat and humidity. And I'm always having the most fun in jungles. People are like, how that make any sense? How do you do that? I could just turn that switch on. You'll never hear me complain at all. And then when it's done, I might say, that was a little hot. Yeah, we got a lot of rain that day. <laughs> but it's never going to rattle my cage enough where I say, I'm not doing this anymore or I'm not having fun. Because that's the easiest thing for me to, to accomplish at the time, to endure it. Because it's, it's just like I'm sitting on a boat here in the rain or in a hammock and, or in a swamp bed and maybe it's taking water on. Not really, but uh, all these things that could happen. It has happened. Um, getting bit by everything, the most painful insect bite and fire ants. Got to get the fire ants. <laughs> like you have all these things going on and it's like, yeah, this next thing probably isn't going to be that bad. So I like those things. I like that I had those things because otherwise um, I probably wouldn't feel as adventurous or as confident going out and doing stuff because <laughs> you think worst case scenario, it might rain and like this. And it's like, it comes down to it. That's just water, man. And not to under underplay nature and water, but I'm talking like in a camping situation. Yeah. Jungle or something. A lot of people don't like to be wet and uncomfortable and dirty for days at a time. And, and moist. That's not something I've ever moist. worried. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've never really worried about stuff like that. How do you teach yeah, that? It, Toughen yeah, up. You can, if you were to try to put it down in words, it wouldn't make sense to anybody. No one's yeah, going to read yeah. it. You'd be mentally tougher. It, it just doesn't work that way. It's experience. And it's a hard also, thing to teach. It lends to your ability to remain calm, cool, and collected in a true emergency situation, too. I think that is, this is a fact. very, very important. Um, because right. it allows you to really give a, a, a really accurate gauge as to what's uncomfortable and what's an emergency. Because to some mm. people, uncomfortable is an emergency. But a true emergency is not going to be, you know, is a life-threatening situation, whereas uncomfortable is just uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, right. it really gives you that that uh, that gauge on that. So I think that's that's very important. And, it, and you're right; you yeah. can't you can't teach it. You could only experience it and do it and right. Or well, not. Yeah, yeah people can't do it. It's, it's reality. Yeah, it's like pain and injuries. Something's hurt, but you're not injured. Like there's nothing really broken. Just nothing life-threatening. It just dead. like it, it hurts, right? And you could you have the people who will talk about how this really hurts, or this is uncomfortable. I'm talking about like a blister or a sore muscle or something like that. They all need attention because they all could be they could lead to other things. Yeah, it can lead but, to something more serious. Right uh, at the at the time, then you just have people who just aren't going to say anything. They're just going to, I guess, just kind of yeah. deal with it, and because they are getting stronger at the same time too, mentally, it is kind of a, a process. I guess yeah. you can't just make somebody like, Hey, toughen up. <laughs> Cause yeah, it doesn't work that way. You could, you could cover them with fire ants and see right. how they fire ants. <laughs> yeah. yeah with the, fire fire ants. Ants. the fire ant tip cannon that we're going to make. <laughs> fire ant tip right. cannon. So yeah, we're, we're, we're pitching this idea. I think you should run with it because you, this was your idea. <laughs> well, like I already get accused of making weapons, so I might as well actually start making weapons. A real one, right? <laughs> a real one. Not like my little wicked is being declared as a weapon online. <laughs> Two and a quarter inch blade they're going to go taking down cities with. But um, I don't know. I, I feel like the mental toughness thing is also tough just with how easy things are for us. Like, for fuck's sake, like, I could go turn on the sink and have water. That is very nice. 
Like it's clean drinking water is that accessible. I think about it every time I go pour myself a glass because like then you go out in the woods, especially when like past couple summers we've been in droughts up here. You don't have the water sources around. And even like last time I went camping when I was cooking my nice fancy fucking steak, Nick, um, the water source (laughs) that we had there, it's been toast for years. The park rangers all like to say that it's fine, but like eh, I don't trust it. It's like that well has been done for a long time and they just haven't fixed it. So I'm like, but when you're in droughts, you're like, you don't have that many water sources. So you either got to carry it in or do without or, you know. But sometimes you can't do without, or like you were saying, Ruben, you just, you know, you got a couple days in you or how much energy you can really burn before you burn up all the water that you got in your system. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's uh, tricky because, you know, you go anywhere close to two days without water. It's, it's a whole different life right there, but three and four is it's pretty deadly, right? Yeah. Um, you're pretty, you're pretty in, toast. In the Southwest um, backpacking. Oh, well, that was always the worst part of it is, don't ever look at a seasonal map or, or like don't take someone's word for it that there is a pond here. You always have to have your own water with you. That's that's just that is reality. I'm thinking of Arizona, Nevada, a lot of Mojave Desert in California and Nevada. It's just dry, dry. So most of your weight is going to be water. But there's some okay. things that you could tough out and there's some things you can't, but that's also you have yeah. to do it to learn which is what. Like you've gotten frostbite before. I've gotten frostbite before. You know what is the level of cold and the gear wise that you could go in. Like last year, maybe I shouldn't have been out ice fishing for eleven hours. Probably should have come back in and warmed up at some point. But then you look at my two pinky fingers and I was like, Oh, that should have been addressed <laughs> that, earlier. Yeah, that is that is the that is the indicator. Yeah. But, uh, and yeah, you know, like I said earlier, I've never been to a desert you know, I mean formally, I guess. California, I've been to California, so I guess I've been in desert, but I've never had to do survival stuff in desert, and, you know, one of the things that we might take for granted up here, especially, uh, you know, in Connecticut and the Northeast, is that I am, like, there's water everywhere. There's rivers, there's streams, there's lakes. There's You're tripping water. over it, right. <laughs> yeah, like, you can't you can't avoid it. Like, you, there's more water than you'll ever know what to do with, and, you know, even last year when we had a severe drought in the area, there was still water. You know, I could still find a place with water that was within a mile of anywhere I was to, you know, right, yeah. fill up my, you know, fill up my container or use my grail or boil out or, you know, hit with a chemical treatment, whatever it is, you know, it was there. So, um, um, you know, I'm going to, something you said, Nick, about, uh, yeah. cooking, non-cook circle back to that because I, I didn't get to throw this in. A lot of that, um, has to do with water also. Like for example, if I know there's a creek within a quarter of a mile or we're smart enough to, to camp close to a creek, then I don't mind other foods that – because you won't be able to wash your hands all the time. So I use hand sanitizer so much, but you can only use it so much, right? So um, for me, if there's going to be creek and running water, ah, now we can have this because it's easier to clean. I don't like to go to sleep with dirty pots and stuff where there's animals. I mean, it could be yeah. – just raccoons are such a nuisance. Um, the chipmunks not to mention, not to mention bears. Yeah, chipmunks revenge. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, having water like a water source changes the cooking thing too. Now you can now you can boil stuff. Now you can make a soup. Now you can clean off yourself and other stuff utensils. So it has a lot to do with it. Also, I think um, yeah, water sources. Uh, so you're right. We got a lot of water here. We're super lucky. Like telling people in California, you wouldn't believe it. 
There's water. Yeah. <laughs> in California, there's a waterway, any type of creek or river. First of all, it's going to be full of people, like full of people in the, in the water, leaving orange pills everywhere. That's ridiculous. So um, and the on the East Coast here, it's crazy because like there's a there's a little creek. Yeah, there's like a waterfall. There's nobody here. Like it's not just yeah. like completely attacked by people. So I like that. That is very nice. Yeah, and we have water, and they have mountains. And I know that the people who live out out west make fun of our mountains because our mountains are small. But they're still mountains. <laughs> they still. Yeah. Count. I mean, I I don't. I come from a place with high elevation mountains. I I like all different types of forests. Some are flat. Some have more hills. Some have canyons. Some don't. So I'm yeah. like just kind of I, I get I get excited about two thousand feet and you're like I, I live at seven thousand. I'm like, well good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something about growing up going to high elevation mountains like Big Bear, California, which is uh it sits at about sixty five hundred, but the highest peak is called Bertha Peak is eighty five hundred. That's the highest in that area of San Bernardino. A little bit down the way, California, same mountain range is San Gorgonio, that is over twelve thousand feet. I remember doing an overnighter to make the peak, and on the way down, this guy in shorts was just kind of running up, trail running. That was his, that was his run. It's his morning run. Here we are hiking with all this gear. So, wow. Uh, so what I was going to say is being around that environment so often has done a lot of good for my lungs when it comes to – there's a reason why fighters would, would go to Big Bear to train, like boxers. They train and yeah. run and do stuff because it's a higher elevation than where they're going to be fighting, most likely Vegas or something like that. So throughout the course of several years doing that, being up there, when I got up to, to 10,000 and 12,000 and 14,000 feet, I had I had no effects of high altitude. Zero. Not, nothing. Not, not at all. Not even the slightest headache. Uh, everybody I was with, uh, we did an acclimation day. Uh, they, they want you to acclimate overnight at about 8,800 feet before you start going up to Mount Whitney. And some people had a hard time at 5,000 feet before you even got. Yeah, to, yeah. Uh, and that, like that acclimation is really important because if you're it not is. used to it, you can die. <laughs> people well, don't realize that Elevation will kill you. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, you can get all types of edema, but I don't think they yeah. really hit too hard at that at that altitude. What does show up is the uh the headaches which is just a very small short onset of the uh cerebral edema where you have the swelling of the brain and to a larger extent as you see people in the himalayas they get the eyeballs kind of bulging out imagine the, the yeah. pressure of your brain expanding so much that it's pushing your eyeballs out that's pretty terrible um i'm not a mountaineer i'm not a, I'm not a climbing guy in that way yeah. but i like high altitude and um yeah, being around it is, is is actually pretty good for for other stuff you do that's a lot lower elevation. It makes it makes it kind of a breeze, I would say. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. I mean, fire ants. I, I, yeah, fire ants. So <laughs> we were you, we were talking earlier. Your cannon, fire your ants. blaster, fire ants cannon. Well, yeah, I'm actually I'm blaster. I'm going to retrofit my fucking defunct sand blaster. <laughs> and I'm going to go back up to Nick's because last time we were up Nick's, we were before the podcast started, we were talking about how fire ants had made their up to the north. And uh, Nick hasn't seen them yet until I happened to put my pack right on top of a mound of them. Um, so then we saw a lot of them because they were not very happy yeah. with it. So they we're thinking about right. 
somehow retrofitting Nick's fire ants with my defunct sandblaster. I don't know how it's going to work because we can't even get it to do its job, let alone retrofit it to shoot ants. You're using sand. You need to be using fire ants. ants. <laughs> that would be a yeah, totally fictional scenario, just like Ruben's campsites. Totally fictional, not actually there scenarios yeah. that nobody needs to know about. Yeah, but, uh, that's what I like about living up here. Though, is we really don't have that many critters that you have to worry about too much in the woods. Like it's not like down south. You're like down like south, down you got south. lots of lots of couple. uncomfortable stuff. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I mean different stuff. I've had two epic battles uh, in the winter with raccoons, just not wanting to leave the camp, and it got physical. You guys like getting throw gloves? Yeah, it got ugly, um, and it just really made the whole experience uh, crappy. I was in a lean-to, just a tarp with a pole on a pole bed. And, you know, you just like, you know, when something feels weird and different in the camp and this big old raccoon, they're, they're pretty rude. Every depiction of them in any cartoon is misleading. They fucking suck. They, they're terrible. They're like, they're like, 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 like little mini robbers that will do that, wait, behave that way. Even if you're looking at them, like I can see you. Teeth and claws. Right. And little, little bandit masks, right. Built in. And the, they don't even mind you. They're just like trying to get through your stuff. And you're like, dude, I can see you. I'm here and trying to make it. And then it'll give you like a little hiss. And, oh, we've had a couple of uh, nights and I finally had to chase it and I treat it and I had a flashlight and I kind of just gave it a little poke with a stick and it freaked out and ran off. But then like I could see the yellow eyes. So like every few minutes I'd be flashing. I was up all paranoid looking for the light, the little eyes, you know, with my light. It, it, they're just such a nuisance. And one night it was just, even worse, it took me probably thirty minutes to just really get it to to leave, just just to go away. I I was like on like watch all night. Just I know it's out here. I know it's going to be out here. And I just walked away, fifteen feet away to, to pee, and I hear a little rustling sound, <laughs> and there it is. It's back. I just I just couldn't get it. I I was escorting it. I was scolding it, reprimanding it, and it kept coming back. Just kept coming back. So if finally, you had a fire uh, cannon, that wouldn't be a problem. I, I, yeah. There you go. That, that's we've, we've come <laughs> to that. That would have solved it. That would have solved. I've it. learned that if you actually fat shame, it works better than just sculpting. Them. <laughs> well, I tried everything. Very I'll insecure. Because if you fat shame them, they're not going to go after your food anymore. It's well, just that's what it was. Right. Works. I'll try that next time. Yeah, <laughs> but and like I'm in a pole bed, and like I like the fact that again, lean to tarp. Like the fact that I can hear a noise and instantly see what it is, identify it, and not think that's it. It's the bear, the bear of my nightmares. It's the, the killer. Just like to be able to hit it with a flashlight, and go. It's nothing to me. That's very comforting about being under tarp. And you know, you can't do that in a tent. <laughs> you just kind of like, what is that? Well, Where's the tent, the tent walls are impervious to any threats, so that's the point. Of <laughs> so I hear. I guess I should try it. I've black been doing bear, it wrong. Yeah, you've been doing it wrong this whole time. There's no way that black bear could actually get through your tent. Black bears no. cannot penetrate nylon. It's you shall right. not pass. Well, I think what it is is they have trouble with the zippers. You know, so uh, yeah, they got they don't know how to big, work them. These big paws, little zipper paws. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I try to tell people sometimes not to scare them, but like you could really be trapped in there because. <laughs> The bear doesn't know where the door is. It's going to come in wherever it wants. Now you're just kind of like, now you're trapped. Like you're stuck in right. there. Right. Well, that's the thing. The, the bear, the bear has no problem getting through the nylon where you might have some trouble. <laughs> so. Yeah. Trying to get out. Right. Yeah. yeah. So like, uh, 
bears. I love it when people like to call like the black bears up here little puppy dogs. I'm like, yeah, it's yeah, no. probably coming from somebody who hasn't been ten feet from one. Yeah, because exactly. they don't look like a puppy dog when you're face to face with it. Yeah, when, you're when, in front you, of when you have one not three feet away from your face, it, it definitely is a uh, very different right. scenario than the little puppy dog. Yeah. Oh, I just uh, right. I thought of the mountain lion story that you guys might like. Mountain lion. Mountain lion. I want to hear. Because like mountain lions, I think the crowd likes did mountain lions. Okay, did you I fight know. a mountain lion? No, didn't have to. It's great, but it was a it was a good learning experience. Um, not for me, but for this this girl. First time I got this 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 girl, um, I want to say it was two thousand three. It could have been two thousand two. Um, to to willfully go out and camp with me with a tarp and use a quilt and a bivy, not a sleeping bag and not a tent. Was it? It took a lot of convincing, and when we did, um, it it was a good. It was a big lesson. So this was in Cleveland National Forest in California. So it's kind of a, it's not a very high mountain. It's, it's not even a high desert, but it's in Southern California, kind of between, let's say, Anaheim, California, and San Diego. It means nothing to you guys probably, but it was like scrub, scrub desert, okay. pines, a lot of oak. But this was very desertous. This looks more like like the savannas in Africa, this part of where we were. We're four miles in, backpacking, right? So tarp, little pad, um, bivy, both had quilts, backpacker quilts. I made, she made one. And mountain lions are huge in that area. They're like, they're everywhere. You see tracks everywhere. And you mostly see them, it's very thick brush, so you mostly see them on the trails in puddles because that's a tracking trap, as you know, just like snow, just like wet sand, mud. And so you would see these massive claws, and you see scat everywhere. A lot of coyotes there, too, but they're just they're just coyotes. So um, lines, right. It was getting dusk, and it was like time to make camp. We found a little area off the trail, just a very small area. Like, here's the trail. That's the camp spot kind of flat-ish. There wasn't a lot of um, there wasn't a lot of brush, so we're going to put the tarps here. We just trekking poles, you know, and just tied off. There's a real backpacker setup. And so the ground there in the southwest in this part of the desert is just very gravelly, like like, like on a track or something. It, it, it's, it's loud. It gets crunchy. And I didn't hear it. But she said, did you hear that? I didn't hear it. So she said she heard something walking and it growled. Well, it kind of makes sense because this is mountain lion country. Mm-hmm. And did you not tell her that before you guys went? Is that the part that oh, you she, no, she, <laughs> she, she definitely knew it. She lived in the area, but um, in her mind, a tent would have been safer and not really. So, but they're really after they're after deer. They attack deer, um, small game, and often runners at dusk or at a certain time, bike riders. And we weren't running or riding a bike. And we're just kind of staying still. So as it goes on, she continues to hear gravel and growling. And I'm just kind of setting stuff up. But tarps have that that little crinkliness to them. So, like, you can kind of hit them and make a lot of noise. And yeah. hopefully that, that helps. And I was just trying to make a point that it these animals, these big animals are not here for us. We're not their food. That doesn't mean they won't attack if you just surprise it or run out. But for the most part, they don't want anything to do with us. So she was pretty sure she heard the growling and was scared. And then it was time to go to sleep. And like, okay, so she stayed up until like two or three in the morning. And she finally went to sleep. And I can go to sleep. Wake up in the morning on that little trail in front of us and all around the tarp 
or big mountain lion tracks, right? So think about it. Her first reaction was to be scared and say, see, we, you know, we should have had a tent. See, there was a mountain lion. I think she missed the big picture. It wasn't there for us. It could have done whatever it wanted. We were not on its menu. We weren't running from it. We're a total mystery to it. I look at it like it was curious. Whatever it was, I don't know if it was, well, it was a mountain lion, clearly, but um, whatever reason, it didn't have any reason to to attack us. And I tried to twist it to show her, look, this shows that it's not the end of the world because you're in mountain lion country and you're, you're backpacking. I would have been more scared of it. Like a bear would just kind of like start doing something. Mountain lions, yeah, this is not, been, they don't do that. They don't just like, real. right. So it was kind of a good learning experience where she wasn't as scared after that. Again, that mental toughness was like, well, there's no mountain lions here at least. So that was like, yeah. good. I'm glad. I mean, I, I, I was even thinking, oh, I should have thought of this before, like get like a real life mountain lion claw or something and, and make this just mm. prove a point. But <laughs> like, why did I think of that before? Get those bear but, yeah. paw clogs and right. walk yeah. and leave the right. mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Dinosaur track. <laughs> Holy shit, a raptor was here. Uh, I see it. We're you safe. don't have to you worry about black when you got raptors exactly. in the neighborhood. But it worked because um, she didn't remember being cold. Because she wasn't, because she wasn't in a large space, a big tent that you couldn't warm. It was a low tarp. Bivy blocked the wind and the quilt yeah. just over the top. It was a, a sleep system that she adopted. I don't know if she uses it to this day, but seeing those matline prints everywhere was kind of like I just said. This is it's it's not here for us. You see, it's okay, and it's like a realization of oh yeah, I guess so. So. And every now and then while I was laying there, I would just be hitting the tarp. I remember her bivy was like the, the cheap um, um, mylar, kind of like the kind you just kind of sweat in. So that's really loud yeah. and crinkly. These are all mysterious sounds to yeah. Mount Lion, yeah. I think. So, um, yeah, it, it wasn't there for us, and everybody lived. <laughs> and yeah, we were know, under a tarp, see? Yeah. Number so, one survivalist. I think I, you know, I'll make I'll make one more point and tell a quick story before we before we wrap up for the day. But you know, you I said think, that forty five minutes ago. I know, but we kept talking. <laughs> so, you're crying about your uh, shop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm the guy complaining. You know, I think that a lot of people who get injured by animals in the outdoors is because they do stupid stuff with animals, and we see videos awesome. of it all the time at like you know Constantly. people trying to pet trying to pet bison and stuff like that. But just last week, know, right? Yeah, I mean that happens all the time, uh, but you know it was a uh, it was a year about a year ago, maybe almost two years ago. Um, I guess it was almost two years ago now. I was down at uh, my local state park, which is um, very busy during the summer, but it's desert uh, d- desolate in the winter because you know I call them my fair weather friends. Um, they don't go there in the winter, so I was there. It was getting towards the end of winter, but there was still a good amount of snow and ice on the ground. And I was down by the uh, the brook, filling my uh, my my grail up, and I hear a big crack of ice behind me. And I turned my head, and there was Mister Black Bear, just like saying, "Like, hey, what's up?" Like not three feet, around, you know, in front of my face. And I, you know, I turned around and I stood up, and I was like, "Hey, bear!" And that's uh. And it kind of yeah. just made like a huff noise at me, and it turned around and walked away. But that was, uh, uh, you know, like I don't know if it yeah. thought I was a smaller thing that it wanted to eat and didn't realize I was person. And then when it seen I was person, it just decided to uh, go away. But 
you right. know what I mean? You, so, yeah, that's that. good story. Uh, and you, you realize that like, you have to have your head screwed on tight when you yeah, come across yeah. a bear in the woods. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's you know, because that was the thing. You know, depending on that bear's mood, that could have been a very, a very, you know, that was a, that was a large male black bear that hadn't mm-hmm. eaten in a couple months, and it was probably uh, hungry. So, and, uh, you know, so you just you didn't look that good I, to it, I guess. Yeah, I wasn't. I was, well, when I stood up, I guess it, I was bigger than I than I than I thought I was, and decided to bugger off. But you know, mm-hmm. that's uh, that's that fun story. But anyway, on that note. Bear- Bear encounters are always creepy. Like, there's always yeah, they, like, oh, well, you know, especially they, when they, they walk into your shop. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you, you get them in your shop. You always have bears. Well, that's like my neighbor. Will, like, because I'm always wearing, like, I because I've been hit in the head too many times. So a shocker. Oh, yeah. right? that um, so like loud noises, okay. consistent loud noises, give me real bad headaches. So uh, this is a recent thing too. So go figure. Um, but I wear in ear in protection and then overs. But it's like since I've had bears come into the shop with me, I'm a little jumpy now in the shop because I'm always a little jumpy. But like, well, yeah. <laughs> by people are up around here. Apparently, when you see a garage door open, that means just fucking walk on in and come <laughs> crack open a beer. Not that I'm working or anything in here. Right. But like, my one neighbor would just always like not announce himself. Like, I've one like he'll knock on the side before he comes in just because he knows I'm squirrely. But like I'll just turn around, I'll just see him in there. I'll be like, "Holy shit!" Just because like you're in there. <laughs> well, you're why? Well, exactly. How long have you just been fucking standing there? He's like, "Well, how long have you been bitching about your grinder?" It's like it's the same amount of time. <laughs> Are you <laughs> still bitching? It's three thirty in the morning. Is that what you're saying? Still bitching, but yeah. again, no. Like the, the difference is over here, though. They're so used to human contact, they don't give a flying fuck about you. This whole like yeah. get big and. Yeah. Like yell at him. I threw a fucking log of firewood one last year because I was close to the house and get back into the house, and I had a pistol on my hip. But it looked at me as like, "Bro, you serious?" And I'm like, "Get the fuck out of my yard! I gotta go." This is the middle of the afternoon, and he just like really? popped back down and started eating the acorns in my yard. And I'm like, "All right, I guess I'm not going to my truck now because like he's not worried about me throwing a piece of ash at him. I don't think he's gonna be uh, too fond of me walking right past him to start my truck." Oh man, bears are serious. See them in Alaska, see them in California. There's not that many bears they say in California um, anymore. But uh, with the bear on the flag, but... right? I mean, well, that's a that's a grizzly, and the last grizzly was killed well over 125 years ago in Orange County. Orange County, which is like the weirdest place for there to be a bear, last one was killed there. So yeah, going to a place called Big Bear on um, to camp and hike my entire life, not seeing any bears. Was kind of like weird to name it that. Uh, you know, why do they call it Big Bear? I haven't seen one bear here. I was doing a drum gig in Mammoth Lakes, California, which is um, nice altitude, really nice, very uh, big mountains, beautiful place. And uh, we're setting up at the club, sound check done, back to the cabin. I had some time, I wanted to get a quick lay of the land because the next day I wanted to hike. So I went out with just the Swiss Army knife champ and a whole lot of stupidity. And um, I just wanted to get a lay of the land behind the cabin because I wanted to come back. I wanted to build a lean-to or a debris shelter with um, spruce. So I'm walking, and I'm noticing these very, very fresh, large bear tracks. So, I mean, you know, when it's so fresh, you can just see everything so crisp and sharp on it. And just I'm looking up, scanning up with my eye, and probably, oh, easy, 30 yards away, there's the biggest bear I've ever seen 
And that was the first time I ever did see a bear. So it was the biggest one. To me, it looked like a couch moving slowly. <laughs> it wasn't coming yes. toward me. With claws and teeth. Right. Is that a, a hairy Volkswagen moving through the woods? <laughs> but, but it looked fuzzy and furry. And I remember the first thing I thought, okay, set, set the stage. It was 20 degrees. There was snow on the ground and it was getting dark. This was real. And I just remember wanting to put distance between us, but then stopping. Like, okay, got to go slow, keep my head on. And I kind of got over a, a bluff. And when it couldn't see me, then I started to, to move, like really move in snow. And I just went such a crazy way. But I remember I needed to just go south, back south to, to the cabin. And I couldn't because that's exactly where the bear was going to be traveling. If he kept traveling in that direction, it was already coming in, in like in the first place. So I had to go further, further, further. That's my first bear encounter, but not the, that was only the first of the day. I get to this giant, this, this giant open field of now it's just snow. So I'm thinking this is a lake. This is a lake. I'm going to cross this lake. So I'm doing this thing with my foot where I'm trying to like, see how, like, where's the ice? And there's no ice. There's grass. I'm on a giant golf course. And then realize <laughs> it's close for the season. But think about it. a golf course must have a way to get to the clubhouse and a street to a road. Didn't see any of that in sight. In this giant open field of snow, I did see three more, bla- three more bears. They're all galloping toward me. Very curious. <laughs> one's small, one's a little larger, one is massive. They're different bears. Now there's like I'm this four bears in one day all my life in a place called Big Bear. Never saw a bear. Now here I am yeah, to play a drum exactly. gig. And now there's four bears all in one day. So uh, I ended up just kind of finding the road and uh, they just kind of moved on. And it was cool because at that time of the night, you see all kinds of things just kind of moving, coming back to and from uh, you know, their, um, their watering source or their, their home, their den. And then I had to go and play drums all night, kind of still like a little, a little yeah, uh, frazzled. Yeah, from bear, bear <laughs> adrenaline and what happened. Yeah. The bears weren't waiting in the parking lot, waiting for you to come out when you were done, staring you know, at you. It's like this. If you ever, <laughs> maybe, if you've ever maybe been maybe like, bears were fans, you know, right? Possible. All that was was possible. But it's like uh, my reaction for the next few days while we were in town hiking in the woods. After that, it's like. If you've ever stepped on a snake or almost stepped on a snake, the rest of the day, everything looks like a snake. You're just looking like every at snake every snake. snake. Is, yeah. 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 So it was like that, where any weird stump of a tree or a log, the first thing my mind registered was, it's got to be a bear. <laughs> and it wasn't. So, uh, oh, yeah, animal well, encounters are funny like that. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's true. It's the way. But um, on that note, we're really going to wrap up now because I do have to go get my kids from camp. <laughs> so, and I have to go tomorrow, that, yeah. buddy. And, and <laughs> Nuge needs to go be frustrated at his stuff not working. And uh, I don't know. Whatever. I don't know what you got. You got to work on your... Uh... Got to work on your fire ant blaster. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, Ruben, yeah. you got to get back to the woods and start collecting the fire ants. That's going to be your job. Yes, get, gather right. the fire ants. We're going to make it happen. Um, Ruben, but thank you so text. much for coming on. Oh, thanks and, for having me. It's been fun. And sharing, you know, your stories and your wisdom with us. And I, it was awesome. Um, why don't you uh, tell people where they could find you on the uh, interwebs so they can uh, Just my name. Instagram. Instagram, so, really. Just uh, <laughs> just my name, R-E-U-B-E-N-B-O-L-I-E-U. I said I'm not oh. big on social media. But yeah, you can get an idea of some of the stuff I do. 
Yeah, I will. Yeah, thanks for uh, having I'll me. Make sure there's a link in the uh, description, and um, yeah, cool. man, so thanks, thanks again for coming on. It was awesome. Uh, new my pleasure to leave us with before you we uh, wrap this up. I've got fucking nothing. He's yeah. got nothing. Everything's you got fishing though. You can fish. Well, that's that's about ready to go do. Maybe there'll be knives soon. Who knows? Well, there's knives on the website. There's knives on the website. Go buy, go buy knives. (laughs) Go buy what I have. (laughs) Can't make any. I'll probably write a shitty newsletter this week saying I just spent all my money on tools. Please buy knives or some bullshit. (laughs) I'll throw in like five typos to piss everybody off on purpose. Thanks, thanks. And you won't have any commas. No commas. All typos. No punctuation. All caps. I'm going to actually use yeah. different colors throughout the whole thing, too. <laughs> and some in all caps. Lots of emojis. Sentence of, oh, yes. Lots of emojis. I'm a Thanks. fucking professional here. Yeah. So, yeah. I'll probably just honestly, I'm just going to spend money and fish all week because that's how you make money running a business. That's, that's, that's the way to do it. Yeah. All right, yeah, everyone. Yeah, bye-bye. <laughs> all right. Bye-bye. bye-bye. Go collect bye-bye. fire ants. Later. Bye-bye. Go get fire ants. <laughs>